Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. I'm going to do a slightly different podcast today. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the kind of the wider context of a particular period of time and that is uh, Europe in the immediate aftermath of the war. The reason why I want to talk about this is uh, I have quite a few students at the moment who are looking at um, the Cold War and if you understand the uh, situation that Europe is in in 1945 it helps to give a, a kind of a broader background to understanding an awful lot about the decisions that were made and the um, uh, the view um, not just of the um, uh, the allied powers but also of the Soviets on what was possible in Europe in 1945 and again this kind of context can help inform our understanding of the decisions that are made um, in the very early moves of the Cold War. The point I'm going to make now might seem slightly odd, but I think it's worth bearing in mind that the Second World War was experienced by far more civilians than it was soldiers. The uh, countries of Europe occupied from 1940, or in Poland's case 1939, and in Western Europe 1940 up until 1944, um, are well, the, the majority of people there who, exper- who experienced the war are civilians, and the the bulk of devastation, the vast majority of lives lost in Europe, happens in a very short space of time, um, really from um, June 1944 all the way through to May 1945. And it is the um, the civilians' experience of the, the post-war era, um, in, from beginning in 1945, that most, that's most telling and important. If you go all the way back to uh, the various um, discussions that Hitler had in the 1930s with his generals, specifically uh, things like the Hossbach Memorandum, um, the uh, discussion recorded by uh, Colonel Friedrich Hossbach um, of um, uh, the uh, debates between Hitler and his uh, chiefs of staff on um, the course of the war and planning for the war, it becomes clear that um, a war of plunder was always intended. Hitler's um, 
answer to the seemingly irreconcilable uh, German economic problems of the 1930s was that conquest would pay for itself, that Germany would become rich at the expense of um, occupied neighbours. And those uh, neighbours would be forced to exist on a, a lower uh, a lower standard of living. And the, um, the results of this plunder, uh, which becomes um, intensified as the war goes on and the, uh, the crises of, of Germany's failed war um, means that she needs to resort to ever more uh, drastic uh, measures in uh, appropriating um, sl uh, slave labour and uh, indentured labour and uh, looting the economies of the occupied powers means that you have an immensely impoverished Europe uh, at the end of the war, and it also means that you have enormous numbers of displaced peoples. By 1945, it was estimated that some 25 million people across Europe were homeless, the result of um, aerial bombing and the uh, devastation of uh, both the uh, German Red and the Allied armies, and the uh, scale of destruction of uh, basic things like animals and livestock was uh, was breathtaking. Um, half the livestock of, say, Yugoslavia um, was was destroyed, and the uh, toll on infrastructure is uh, an, an equivalent amount of unbelievable devastation. From seventy thousand villages in the Soviet Union and seventeen hundred towns. Uh, there were 32,000 factories destroyed and 40,000 miles of rail track destroyed. Um, Two-thirds of the merchant marine force in Greece destroyed. Um, uh, Two-thirds of France's shipping destroyed. And the costs of occupation on the countries across Europe is, is inestimable. The mental toll of war is obviously very hard to quantify. But in 1945, from uh, France all the way through to Russia and from Norway down to Greece, there are people uh, wearied and exhausted by war, um, people who are traumatised perhaps for the rest of their lives by the experience of war. When you consider the statistics that uh, Berlin in the final two weeks of the war um, experienced 40,000 tonnes of artillery shells landing upon it, um, it is um, understandable the scale of, uh, of human death, but the um, experience of Berliners and then the experience of occupation by the Red Army with the, uh, uh, the million or so uh, rapes and acts of sexual violence that go with it um, make it almost impossible really for us to um, have a, a realistic f uh, sense of um, the experience of survivors. Um, one, can, one can only really imagine um, what those people um, eventually uh, felt or experienced uh, when the uh, ravages of the most extreme phase of the war were over. The rest of Europe, however, is um, no, not very much different in 1945 to Germany herself. Some 5 million Poles had been killed uh, during the duration of the war, 1.4 million Yugoslavs, 350,000 French, 270,000 Hungarians, 430,000 Greeks, 204,000 people in the Netherlands, and 200,000 Romanians, and of course um, some 5.7 million Jews and uh, 220,000 Roma.
In the Soviet Union, there were some 27 million war dead, of which about 8 million were soldiers and the remaining uh, were Soviet civilians. It was only really through the intervention of the new United Nations that um, mass epidemics in Europe are avoided. It was entirely possible, as in 1945, um, a repeat of uh, the post-war Spanish flu might have uh, taken hold. The United Nations Relief and Rehabilitation Agency, which uh, was the, the first widespread um, aid organisation to uh, accompany the Allied occupying armies encountered uh, extraordinary scenes of uh, hunger and uh, deprivation. In Vienna, the average um, calorie intake per day is just a little bit over 800 calories. And if you imagine uh, a normal adult um, male uh, in Britain today should consume, probably consumes an awful lot more, but uh, should consume something like about 2,300 calories to break even, you get an idea um, that um, the, uh, the degree of hunger that um, Hitler's wars had resulted in. In Germany as well, um, calorie intake had fallen by 1,000 calories between 1941 and 1945, so from 2,400 to uh, a little over 1,400. And these, this was good eating in comparison with places in the Balkans like Greece and Yugoslavia. There, the widespread destruction of farms and the loss of horses, uh, which had been commandeered for war, um, the German army continued to go to war, uh, through uh, even into the invasion of Russia with a predominantly horse-drawn army um, meant that um, there was uh, an immense amount of hoarding. The, those that could grow food had little trust in their local currencies and they could see greater value in their produce by hoarding it instead of selling it, um, that, which, uh, that, that produce that there, that there actually was. I think there's um, an argument to suggest that um, we can't really call 1945 particularly uh, a year of peace. It's not where you know one war ended, but certainly other wars continued to rage across the continent. Um, and a, a kind of unofficial war against European Germans certainly took place in 1945. Germans who had either found themselves exported to the east by Hitler or ethnic Germans who inhabited parts of Czechoslovakia, parts of uh, uh, Hungary, um, and ethnic Germans who lived in the Baltic states, were understandably not very welcome by their host countries uh, following the, the acts of uh, Hitler across Europe, and were um, summarily expelled uh, Stalin's rearranging of the borders of Poland so that he took the slice of Poland that he had already claimed during the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. Um, if you want more on that, um, look at the uh, podcast um, earlier on, a couple of months ago I did it on the Nazi-Soviet Pact. Um, and the uh, Poles were compensated by a chunk of East Germany that was given to them uh, at the, the Yalta Conference, from which obviously ethnic Germans were expelled. So there is a, an enormous amount of suffering uh, on the part of uh, ethnic Germans uh, in the immediate post-war period um, as they are uh, resettled, oh, well, I say resettled, expelled from across Europe 
um, and uh, the lucky ones make it back to the West, the not-so-lucky ones uh, wind up in East Germany uh, under communist rule. In certain parts of Europe, civil wars had been raging throughout the duration of the Second World War and were continuing to do so. In Yugoslavia, the um, Croat um, fascists under Ant Pavic, who had uh, allied themselves with Hitler, suddenly found themselves on the, the losing side um, against the uh, more s- Serb and Bosnian. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Uh, Based uh, communist uh, forces led by Tito, Um, the uh, Croat uh, fascists had inflicted um, with their... um, fascist uh, party, the Ustashe, um, horrific crimes against the Serbs and uh, against the Jews in uh, Yugoslavia. And they were now obviously on the receiving end of uh, violence and retribution. And many Croats who were innocent of any crimes also had to flee Yugoslavia and head westwards as quickly as possible. From 1945 onwards, a British presence in in Greece uh, became an integral part of the the Greek civil war, which waged um, until 1949. Um, the the British departed in uh, 1947, realizing that they were uh, unable to continue um, financially supporting the Greek government and uh, uh, financially supporting a military occupation there. But the um, war that took place in Greece uh, between the Titoist uh, communist partisans and the um, the Greek government uh, led to uh, a continuation of, of violence and bloodshed uh, within the Balkans, within the, the part of the East Mediterranean, um, and was a, a direct result of the the kind of the politics of the early Cold War era. Churchill had committed himself to Greece. It's not 
certain why specifically Greece was um, of interest to Churchill, uh, perhaps because, um, as we discussed previously in the, the Yalta Conference podcast, um, Churchill's uh, ambitions for a free and uh, democratic and, more importantly, non-communist Poland don't really come off. So um, Greece is perhaps where Churchill felt he could make his stand. Many other governments in Europe saw it as an opportunity to have some quick and convenient um, population exchanges. Uh, Europe becomes an awfully lot more ethnically homogenous. Uh, European countries become more ethnically homogenous in 1945. You know, Bulgaria um, shipping um, 160,000 Turks out of their territory to, to Turkey. Um, the Czechs uh, swap 120,000 Slovaks, the Czechoslovakians, I beg your pardon, um, exchange 120,000 Slovaks living in Hungary for an equivalent number of Hungarians um, living in Slovakia. On a previous point about uh, Germany, I think it's in- important to realise the, the scale of the expulsions. In Czechoslovakia alone, only there were 3 million Germans expelled, of which about a tenth died in the uh, the expulsions, which were not a, a peaceful process uh, in any way, shape or form at all. Their property was expropriated and um, the property fell into the hands of the, the new communist regimes. And much of this had been um, agreed uh, at the wartime conferences. Um, the uh, exiled governments of the Czechs, and these were not communist um, communist uh, party members from Czechoslovakia and Hungary and places like that, but uh, nationalists and liberals and democrats. Um, these were the people at the wartime conferences, such as Yalta and Potsdam, who insisted on an ethnic cleansing of Germans from their territories, the solving of the German problem. Um, one of the chief proponents of this solving of the German problem in Czechoslovakia was Edvard Benesch, who had been betrayed really by the West uh, during the Munich Agreement of 1938. Few borders, with the exception of Poland, were actually rearranged, and so it was people that were shunted around uh, more than uh, more than geographical borders, which is, is an interesting parallel with the end of the First World War, really, in that um, at the end of the First World War, the peacemakers at Versailles uh, redrew the map and left the people largely where they were, uh, at the end of the Second World War, um, the politics of Stalin and Hitler and the, the, kind of the, the demographic politics really of Stalin and Hitler tend to prevail and it is, uh, it is populations that are, are shunted around or, or expelled. Um, and this, is, this is kind of uh, gives us a, uh, an insight into the, the, the brutalisation of war, um, the extent to which um, war had made revenge and retribution uh, a major priority and the the extent to which a war uh, which was in part based on uh, nationalism and national identity and ethnicity um, those values seem to translate on into the post-war era where people are still defining themselves in the kind of a racially tribalist way across Europe, um, kicking out minorities and um, re- um, removing people's who they found were possibly dangerous and subversive. The United Nations Relief and Recovery Agency, um, as I said earlier, should be kind of acknowledged for, the impre- for its oppressive achievements. 
In Germany alone, there were 227 uh, relief camps set up to um, organise the relief efforts for uh, millions of uh, displaced peoples in Germany, forced workers, uh, slaves, uh, survivors of the Holocaust and the other camps, um, uh, prisoners of war and uh, other people who were uh, displaced by the chaos of war. There's another 762 camps across the rest of Europe and the uh, attempts that they went to to trace relatives, to find um, uh, a place for peoples to, to go to uh, and to resettle uh, people in uh, countries um, where they were going to be safe it is really quite staggering and there is um, a, a legacy of this which has lasted through, uh, through much of the kind of humanitarian work of the United Nations ever since. There were nearly 7 million uh, civilians being cared for and repatriated by uh, the United Nations and um, the, the Soviets had probably about another 7 million people uh, falling under their authority. Um, the uh, largest number of displaced peoples were from the Soviet Union. Um, there were something like about uh, 1.5 million Poles, uh, 350,000 Czechs, 300,000 Belgians, 300,000 Dutch, 700,000 Italians, uh, all who had been sucked into uh, the Reich as forced labourers and prisoners of war uh, and had been um, treated uh, pretty abominably in the, um, uh, the, the, the slave labour camps of Nazi Germany. The uh, problem of displaced persons who are considered to have somewhere to go and the problem of refugees is obviously slightly different. And in 1946, the International Refugee Organization was established to deal with, with this issue too. Um, there were returning citizens from all sorts, all, all European countries, who for one reason or another um, were unable or unwilling to return to their home countries. The majority of French and Italians liberated were home within four to six weeks, whereas People who were liberated um, in western parts of the Nazi empire but who had been taken from the east, such as Poles or Lithuanians or um, people from uh, the, the Soviet Union, um, very often didn't wish to return to the now the Soviet-occupied uh, countries that they had once inhabited um, uh, or were uh, prevented from doing so. And the, the question of what to do with these people was, would be a vexed one indeed. The Allies, in the space of two years, from 1945 to 47, sent back about 2.3 million Soviet citizens to the East, even though uh, in many instances these were people who were uh, begging to uh, not be repatriated. Um, they were well aware that um, men who had fought for Stalin and had been captured as prisoners uh, by the Germans were no, uh, were likely to wind up in the gulags um, or to suffer uh, an even worse fate. And people that had been taken as forced workers to, the, uh, to Nazi Germany were seen as traitors as well. So um, the, perhaps there was um, a lack of understanding uh, in the West, perhaps this is the sympathetic way of looking at the British and the Americans that loaded desperate Soviet citizens onto cattle trucks and uh, sent them eastwards 
or possibly there was an understanding that the war was now over, that what uh, happened in the Soviet Union was no longer Britain's business and that Britain had uh, no desire or interest in becoming uh, involved uh, or testing um, the, uh, the new um, tense atmosphere of the Cold War. I suspect that might be closer to the truth. Anyway, okay, I'm going to end this cheery, cheery uh, podcast here. Um, if you are a student of the uh, Cold War, um, as I know many people are, um, we're going to be doing a Cold War special podcast in the next few days, um, looking at uh, three phases of the Cold War um, and uh, looking at how you can uh, do your, how you can sort of chunk it down, break it down, in, and um, uh, understand these three phases of the Cold War. Um, and it's going to do an awful lot to help you craft essays. So make sure you tune into that. Um, if you are also studying Nazi Germany, I've got a brilliant new ebook out at the moment. Make sure you get it. It is Julia Routledge's um, The Genocidal Century, featuring the Jewish Holocaust and um, the other significant mass killings uh, of the 20th century, um, looking at it in a kind of a broad thematic way. It's a brilliant ebook. Um, I'll put the link below this podcast. And uh, we're coming up to, we are coming up to the 100th edition of the Explaining History podcast. So keep your ears out. There will be an expect, I laugh, a, a special exciting giveaway. Um, and I'm going to be announcing that on the next podcast. So thanks very much for listening. And I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Thanks very much. Bye bye. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.